0: As we get into the teaching tonight, I do want to kind of apologize for something from last night, or just to think about, because I, there was something about last night's talk that bothered me, you know, when it was over, and I started thinking about it and talking to Cammie about it, and I don't know if you really saw what was missing in last night's talk. Um, think about it, Jesus was missing, um. And I realized, you know, I talked a ton about call. And at the end, I even made that statement, you know, sometimes you are so discouraged or so down, the only thing you have to cling to is your call. And the reason I said it that way, I think, is because I took Jesus for granted that you guys had Jesus and that it was understood that Jesus was with you in that struggle. But, you know, there is a danger to that in ministry, right? I mean, it's kind of ironic that 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 was not a part of last night's talk when you consider for us that is easy to do right we want to take Jesus for granted in our ministries even now we kind of like well Jesus is there he's with us you know he's 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 there for the ride we're all on the same team you know and I don't think we need to do that I don't think we can do that and so I want to kind of take us uh, I, I totally when I was thinking about that last night And just actually rewrote my talk this morning for tonight because I changed one of the nights instead of doing like ministry life, calling to ministry life, calling to Christ alone for tonight is what I want to talk about. Um, And so our text, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And uh, this is a familiar text, I think, to most of you. And Paul is um, here speaking to the church at Corinth. And I'm going to start in verse 1. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, and it should be we'll, we'll have it up on the screen as well. And I, when I came to you brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear And in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. All right, let me pray and we'll just kind of jump into this tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for Jesus. And He is our message. Lord, he is the only thing that we have to offer students Um, that's worth listening to is the message of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. It's all about you. And God, we pray that you would bless our time tonight. Thank you for a great day uh, of rest, a great day of community that we are building around Barnabas. Uh, I pray that it's been a great day for families as well and give us a good evening tonight. May you teach us by your spirit and your word. In Christ's name, amen. Well, right off the bat, as Paul is kind of recapping his visit to Corinth, he says, I didn't come to you with lofty speech or wisdom. Now, if I'm going to be honest with you, in my early years of ministry, and maybe even last week, I have been heretical, okay? Let's face it. When I started out in youth ministry, I guarantee you that there was heresy in my teaching, um, and there probably still could be heresy in my teaching. I've been theologically trained now and all that. But when I first started out, my call was, you know, super uh, intense, I got called to this thriving ministry. No, it was a church, you know, in a small town. And they said, we have five kids at our church. We desperately need a youth pastor because one of the ruling elders had two daughters and the, the new pastor they had just hired had three sons. One in high school and two in junior high. So we got to get a youth pastor immediately. And I was the only one attending the church that was like under 50. So they're like, hmm, who should, ah, you're 22. Why don't you do that? Okay. And so that was my fantastic theological training. I wasn't even reformed. It didn't matter. I was under 50 and I had energy. And so clearly I must know what it means to reach teenagers and I know I've taught heresy because I've gone back and thought of some of the things i said. And when I was in seminary, I thought, oh, I totally taught that wrong years ago. And I know that it's happened. Um, we are going to be heretical. I know I've said, um, a million times. You love it. Don't you love it if you've preached a sermon and you get down off the stage and you're like, whew, just all that came out. I just poured my heart out. And a little kid walks up and hands you the bulletin with hash marks for how many times you said, um that ever happened to you? It's not fun. Now, one time I kind of went off script doing a sermon and I was, uh, you know, you have that illustration that wasn't really in your notes, but you just go with it anyway. And so I like mentioned some famous painting and I think I said, yeah, you know, Leonardo, uh, you know, I was about to say Leonardo DiCaprio. See, that's what happens (laughs) when you go off script. Leonardo DiCaprio painted this and you know that painting. And of course, I said the wrong artist, you know, it was one of the, one of the and it, Michelangelo had painted it, but I, I said Da Vinci had painted it, I think, in the sermon, or the other way around. I don't remember which one, but like five people, you know, they got to come tell you. They got to be like, oh, and by the way, Michelangelo painted that. I was like, I know Michelangelo. And they're like, well, you didn't say Michelangelo. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, so you get those times. You're not always going to have the loftiest speech, you're not always going to be the slickest presenter of. The teaching that you do okay and so what what do you do about that i think first corinthians 13 is amazing because paul says there if i speak with the tongues of men and of angels but i have not love then i'm nothing you can be the greatest speaker in the world but if you're not loving it's not going to come across it's not going to be authentic it's not going to hit home And then if that's the truth, then I think the other, the the converse of that is also true. If you are loving, even if you stutter through what you say, your message hits home. Um, This definitely became clear to me uh, over the years. I think this has been really a strategy of mine in youth ministry. Uh, The early years especially, I would spend time with students playing with them, hanging out with them, video games, late at night, you know, all of those things, and letting them know that I cared about them, that I loved them, and then they would, they would listen to me when I teach. I mean, that's kind of Youth Ministry 101, love the kids, and they will listen to you. Um, it, and, you know, in, in Young Life, they had that statement, kids don't care what you know until they know that you care, right? So, you know, you've got that message, and that I have found to be absolutely true. That is the key. If we love them well, they will listen. Uh, Even this morning, it was just amazing to me as Mark was reading from John 13, you know, and he was talking about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And I never really picked up how it just says, and as he was doing that, he loved them. He loved them. You know, he was putting that towel around his waist and he loved them. I mean, and even John, of course, describes himself as the, the, the one whom Jesus loved, right? He's the one, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we know this to be true. Uh, my son had a coach, a football coach. The last couple of years, he's played football. And, and he had one of those coaches that just yelled and berated and was cruel. And the kids didn't respect him, didn't want to play for them, you know, didn't anything. And then the next year, they didn't have a much better record, but they had a coach who cared about them and who loved them. And yeah, he would yell, Sometimes and he would lose his temper. But when they knew that he loved them, it made all the difference in the world in the effectiveness of his coaching, right? And so love is the key because when it comes down to it, really, nobody wants to be our project, right? If we're meeting with a student or a parent and they just think we are there because they're, they're on our, our list, they're, they're the project that we have they don't want to be that. And so the first thing about, that I want to point out from this passage is just that, that love is the key and that it doesn't, you don't have to be the greatest speaker. Um, you don't have to have the most wisdom. Verse 2 then, he says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus and him crucified. This is, this is the first thing. This is our number one priority, right? We want our kids, when they leave our ministry, to know Jesus, and we kind of know that again, but I don't want us to take it for granted that that's, that's the key. That is what we're after, is them knowing Jesus. I, David McNeely, when he was on staff with me, he was the first one to point this out to me where he said, Hey, it's really easy for me to preach a sermon that a Jewish rabbi could preach. You need to call me on that. And I started paying attention more to that. How often could I give a talk? on a subject matter, you know, like lying or dating or whatever. And Jesus never enters into it. Like, it's just a good moralistic talk. You know, be moral. If a Jewish rabbi could do your talk, we're not proclaiming Jesus, right? I mean, that is something, though, that is so easy for me to fall into as a parent, and it's easy for me to fall into as a youth pastor, that I can leave out the gospel, right? That my my goal, when our kids are in the middle of their sin... It's tempting for me to say, do better, try harder. Not, you can't do better because you're a sinner and you need Jesus. The reason we need Jesus is because we can't do better. We're sinners. Not that, not that you can't be sanctified and things like that, but we can't be good ultimately, right? We cannot be good. And we can, through the power of the Holy Spirit, have victory over sin and we can see growth in our walk And things like that. But the third use of the law, right, showing them their sin and their need for Jesus is something that we've got to go to again and again. Because what's tempting in ministry, I think, is do you and I let students plug into us? Do we let them plug into us? Um, And, you know, what I mean by that is emotionally, there is a sense when students need us, right? They want to come up to and just plug in emotionally to us. And we get a kick out of that. We want to be needed. We want to be used. And so when you're like, oh, that student's texting me in the middle of the night. Uh, when it, you think, well, can't you tell them to text you tomorrow? But uh, they need me. They need me now. I'm who they need. No, they need Jesus now. Right? And it's easy for us sometimes to allow that, them to plug into us emotionally because of what it does, it makes us feel good to have that. And I had, I mean, years ago, I've had, I've had several uh, people work with me over the years who, when they start in ministry, just go great guns, usually, you know, young, single people just charging ahead. And they get in these relationships and they don't have good boundaries and they get enmeshed with other students. And next thing you know, they're just at the breaking point. I mean, I had one who was almost suicidal because he was just like, I am getting texts all night. I'm pouring myself out to all these kids. And just emotionally, he was just giving, giving, giving. But it was all him. He wasn't, when the kids were trying to plug into him, he wasn't saying, hey, I really can't help you. Jesus can though, let's pray. Jesus can, let's go to scripture. Jesus can, it was, I, he loved the attention that he got from being the one to meet those needs. Oh, you're hurting? I can help. Me, you know, and so I've had it with, with girls in my staff as well. I can remember just a staff meeting one time and, and one of my staff members was so stressed and so just on the edge from pouring into all these different people, just started crying right in the middle of staff meeting, you know, and I was just like, okay, I think you can go home and uh, take a day off <laughs> or three and let's, let's talk, you know, but it's easy to do that because we like that. There's a part of us that enjoys... Um, to be that outlet for people. Our message really needs to be you don't measure up and I don't either. And that's why we need Jesus. We both fall short, right? Of the, of the glory of God. And through his power working in us, we can do that. The next thing Paul says, moving on from verse 2 to verse 3, he says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much much trembling. And this is really, I think, what he's getting at here is that, that we need to approach students with vulnerability and transparency. And this is kind of a new thing for me. And I, by new, I mean like 10 years ago. was the first time I really understood or started to, to understand this point. I was on a, a trip, and I had a, a young intern, and he was doing the talks. And so he's up there, and we, you know, we talked loosely about what he was going to say, and he, he was very good at going off script. And so he just goes off and starts to tell this story about sleeping with his girlfriend in high school and all these other things. And I just remember at the time, just like my mouth was like, this is really, he's, that's where he's going with this talk. And I had a couple of moms in the, in the audience. And I remember, boy, I got back and it was like meetings with the moms, meeting with parents, meeting with, like, oh my gosh, he shared his sin with our kids. And... At the time, I was like, that is really a dangerous thing. Like, And don't get me wrong. I think there is, it takes an incredible amount of wisdom to know when to share, how, how to share, how much to share. Right, there's an appropriate level of sharing. And there's a lot of wisdom that it takes when you and I enter into a situation with kids sharing our struggles and our journey and our, our sin, right? We, we need to be wise about that. And I'm not saying this intern was wise about it, okay? He, at the time, he wasn't. He just kind of, you know. But let me tell you what I learned from him is I had a distance from the kids. You know, I was kind of dad. I was kind of the rule guy. I was kind of, and, and he would, I remember he was walking and I had this couple that was dating and I'd talk to him and I'd be like, so what's going on? You know, how are you guys doing? How are your boundaries? Oh, they're good, they're good. You know, they'd, that's how they would tell me. And Chris, uh, this guy, he walked by and he said to him, he said, so are y'all sleeping together? And they're like, no, but we almost are. <laughs> Immediately, they're just like, Let us tell you all our sin. And they would instantly just share with him exactly what was going on. They never would have told me that in a million years. They were not going to tell me the level of their sin. But with him, because he was like, hey, I sin, look at me. As soon as he asked them that question, they were like, yeah, we're sin. Let's tell you what it's about. And that kind of took me on a journey not only am I teaching to try to be more, hey, here's my sin, but especially like in my accountability group, my D group, to, I have to get in the pit with them. Cammy and I, you know, we've, we've talked about this, this illustration or idea of part of me, I want to be outside the pit of sin, looking at kids down in the pit, and go, hey, guys, y'all ought to really get out of that pit. It's a bad place to be. I made it out. Do you want a hand? Or let me just, hear. well actually let me write some things down and throw it down to you in the pit. And then you guys read that and pray for a while and then maybe you can get out. Right? And there's a part of me that wants to do that. I don't want to get in the pit with you. I don't want to tell you, I mean I might even tell you a little bit about when I was in the pit. I was dirty one time. You know, maybe. But what is, you know, but what does real ministry look like? I think sometimes we have to get down in the pit with them. Now that's Tricky, though, right? Because you don't want to get in the pit and be like, hey, the pit's pretty cool, right? I mean, you don't want to be like, you don't want to get down in the pit with them and say, oh, man, you're addicted to porn? I am, too. It sucks. (laughs) I don't think that's what I have in mind. I don't think that's what he has in mind in fear and trembling, right? That's not what I'm talking about. But when you get in the pit and you get on your hands and knees in the pit so they can stand on your back, and get out, I think that's ministry, right? That is when we are in there with them so that they can learn from our experience, learn from our our struggles, too, and boost them up out of the pit. That's what we're talking about in fear and in trembling, um, in weakness and fear. So, how do, how do we do this? Um, I, I mean, I remember one time I was even, I was sitting here, I don't, I'd been work, working here about a year and a half, maybe two years, and I was just exhausted. And I had a, a, another intern story, and he he was talking to me, and he was you know telling me struggles, and he wasn't really connecting, and, and I was just done. I was tired. My filter was gone. Have you ever been like at that point? And I'm sitting on one of these couches out here, and I'm just like, Whatever. And I was just blatantly honest. Here's where I'm at. Yeah, I'm discouraged. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, and I just felt like I was just like, blah, you know? And afterwards, he was so encouraged. Like, I was like, I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm done, blah. And he was like, that was the best talk we ever had, <laughs> you know? Because he's thinking, I, you know, I, I didn't realize it, but I think I always was coming across like, I've got it all together. I've got the answers. And I think that is so difficult for us in ministry with students and with our peers and with our bosses, right? I mean, I think there's a part of me that is very nervous about getting up and talking to you guys about ministry because I want to have all the answers, too. I want to be the guy that you guys are like, oh, he's he's awesome. I don't want to be like, yeah, I kind of suck. I'm really not that good at this. Or I don't know the answer. I struggle, too. And that's when we're powerful when we lead with our weakness. And that, I think I still have a lot to learn and grow in this area. But that is, that is just amazing when we lead with our weakness, how it actually encourages others and helps them to grow um, in amazing ways. And, th- and this, is, this is hard. Um, I think sometimes it's just like doctors. We're we're practicing youth ministry. I've always thought that was funny. I practice medicine. And you know, we know what that means. They have no idea what they're doing, right? You go to the doctor and they're like, I don't know, try this medicine. And they always start with the lowest dosage, weakest thing ever to see if it fixes your problem. And then if it doesn't, they throw something else at you that's a little bit harder because eventually they only have like three ideas. And if that doesn't work, they don't know what to do for you, right? So they're practicing on you every time. And we do that in ministry. Sometimes a parent comes to us or a kid, and this is their problem. We're like, I don't know. Why don't you do this? And we're like, let's see if that works. And if it doesn't, I've got like one more trick maybe that I can try. <laughs> and other than that, I'm kind of out of options here. Right? So we are practicing ministry. And and we. it's hard because we don't... Always feel safe, right? Do we, I I encourage you to cultivate relationships with other youth workers, cultivate relationships with your elders, with your boss specifically, right? To make sure that that's a safe person that you can say, hey, I'm really got a problem and hey, I'm really trying to figure it out because you probably don't know the answer exactly what to do every time. Or if you're in this long enough, you will hit times when you don't know the answer I mean, I think that's Matt and I, our meetings, most of them, that's what they're about. We, he sits in my office, or I sit in his, and we're like, here's the 10 things I don't know what to do right now. And then we just talk, and I don't have any answers either, so we just talk, and then we pray and walk out and feel encouraged, and we're going to try this. We're going to practice for a while and see what happens. Um, getting near the end here, uh, the next thing he says moving through here is, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and a power. Now, I'm going to break that up a little bit. Well, she meant a demonstration of the Spirit's power. I'm just going to focus on that word demonstration for a minute. It's important what we do. It's important how we live. Kids are watching us. They care way more about what we do than what we say. And we know that with our own kids, if you have children right? They're watching you all the time. Uh, first Corinthians 11 one is one of my favorite passages. And it basically says, Paul is Paul speaking, saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's imitation theology, right? He is, he is confident enough saying, and you know, remember there's other parts in scripture where he says he's the chief of sinners. And yet many times he tells his disciples, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I don't think he can say that just because he's an apostle. I think he's saying that because he knows where his heart is, and he knows that he's running after Jesus with his whole life. And so he's, I think he's saying, I'm not perfect, but if you run after Jesus the way I'm running after Jesus, you're going to be fine. But we have to be consistent in our walk. Uh, years ago, I was uh, ministering to a student, and His parents were calling me, and it was like, oh, he's always in trouble at school, and he's lying all the time, and we don't know why. He just lies, he lies, he lies. And I mean, I jumped in there, and he was lying at school, and I worked with him, and he finally kind of cleaned it up a little bit. And a few years later, I was taking him out to go do something, and he was a younger-looking kid, you know, on the younger-looking side, big family, like six kids. And we're going to uh, Pizza Hut and the movie or something. And we're at Pizza Hut, and he's like, well, I'm probably going to get this... uh, the kids thing, because I'll, I'll just tell him I'm, I'm, I'm 11 or I'm 12. You know, he could, get, uh, he could get the kids meal, but you had to be 12 and under. And he's like, I'll just tell him I'm 12. And I'm like, you can't just lie. He's like, well, my dad tells me to do that every time we go out to eat because we all look young. And I'm like, well, what, when you go to the movies? Oh, yeah, we always get the kids. To-. I mean, like his dad was teaching his family to lie if it's convenient and if it saves you a buck. Well, then you can't be mad when he goes to school and if he's having a hard time with his teachers, he's just going to lie. There's, right? It doesn't matter what you say. If you're living out that it's okay to do those things, That doesn't matter. And we face the same thing. We have to live a life that proves what we're teaching these students. Right? We have to have that demonstration. Now, obviously, then he moves on and he talks about the spirit. He says... A demonstration of the spirit and a power. How much do we pray? Because really, if we we know in our theology that we cannot, we don't have the power to do anything in the lives of a student. It's the power of God at work in them. He uses us, but it's the spirit that does the work. And so, how much prayer are we really involved in? I love the thing that uh, Tony was doing at lunch. If you had an opportunity to go, if you didn't, you should grab one of those books, because it seemed amazing. Getting three adults to pray for every student for the course of a year was just fantastic. I mean, just the idea of it, if, if, you, if we can really mobilize our adults to pray for our students like that, I think it'll transform our ministries. I mean, I really will. More than any program we do, more than our teaching, more than our relational capital that we're building, prayer, I believe that. My theology says that, right? That the power of God... Is more. And yet, even this, and this is not a condemnation on anybody, okay? But not that many people went to find out about that. And yet, I think that's really where the power is. The power is in prayer for real change in people's lives, right? It's the Spirit of God. Uh, Matt and I had an opportunity last few years to go to these and hang out with these youth pastors from around the world. And some of these churches, and the things, the way the Spirit is moving in other countries, I mean, there are great awakenings happening in South America, in Africa, in Asia. I mean, it's ridiculous. Some of the churches and the youth groups that we were talking to, they're like, what's your normal growth rate, you know? And they're like, well, it's about 70%. A year, (laughs) 70% is average. And like when things drop to like 65% growth rate, they start freaking out. And it's all conversions, and we're thinking, that is not... And they're like, well, what's your growth rate? I'm like, eh. kind of like Rip, you know. You know just trying to, to gain what that might be because we don't experience anything like that. And a lot of it is because it's not our strategies. It is the Spirit of God. And they show up and they pray. And they pray serious, big time. Uh, these guys in Egypt... They said, well, our biggest service that we have, and this is in Egypt and Cairo, like where all the unrest has been going on. They're right there on the, on the square. And on Monday nights, they have a prayer meeting and 3,000 people show up to pray. That's powerful. I mean, that's amazing what is happening. <laughs> in the, and people are seeing Jesus. Like n- Muslim people who have never don't know anything about Jesus, are having visions of Jesus saying, come to me, and they're come becoming Christians. And I, is it related to the fact that 3,000 people are showing up to pray on Monday night? I don't know. But there could be a relationship between those two things. Um, I just don't know that we are spending enough time in prayer. And then the last thing, it is the power of God and not the wisdom of men. Uh, that The power of God is what ultimately changes our students. Not the wisdom of man. I think it's tempting for us even to come to something like this and get in conversations with each other and try to say, hey, what, what's your model? What are you doing? What are you doing for discipleship? What are you doing for this? And we, and we, you, Or, you know, you, you go and you want to grab the latest and greatest and this book's out and that book's out. And I'm all for reading and studying and learning from other people's models. And I, and I think we should try to glean Matt is awesome. Like, he reads, like, I don't see, That's the, I, the blessing is I'm not a reader, but Matt is, and so I just wait, and he, sips, he reads like four books and then tells me which one I should actually look at, and it's awesome. Um, but then I just, I just take it from him and, and, and glean the wisdom from it. But, you know, we, we can't always get it from a book. It, it, the power of God is the one that really brings change in our students' lives, in us, right? And, and it's that apprehension of the Spirit's power that we have to do. And when I was at West Hills, when I had that first job, and I had no idea what I was doing, and I was speaking heresy, and I had those five kids, what was amazing was in a couple years, Cammie and I did a lock-in, and we, it was a junior high lock-in, I still remember, and we had 60 students show up. So I went from five and we were pulling 40 to 60 kids by within a couple years. And we didn't know anything about what we were doing. Um, So we had this lock-in, 60 kids, no other chaperones, just us. (laughs) Of course the police showed up. Of course we were playing Capture the Flag at two in the morning in a residential neighborhood. Um, Of course I was being heretical. But the amazing thing is that God showed up in spite of that, right? He showed up in the lives of students even though we didn't have any idea what we were doing. Um, so my, my, my last parting words of this for tonight, get, get educated, that's a good thing. Seek wise counsel and wisdom and read. But the main message of tonight is really that love covers a multitude of sins. And if we're loving our kids well and we're pouring and investing in them, Jesus is the one who works through that to heal their hurts. He's the one. We are called to offer them Jesus. And that's really all we have to give them. And I just want to leave us with that. Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Thank you that you work in spite of us, that we are, Lord, sometimes we, we're heretical. Sometimes we're a mess. Sometimes the police show up. Um, and you work in spite of us. Uh, but thank you for letting us be a part of your plan. Um, help to us to remember and not take for granted that you're in the equation. Help us not to give messages that a Jewish rabbi could give. Um, that we just preach law and say try harder and get better and and work at it. Um, But Lord, may we say and crawl down into the pit with them and say, I need Jesus just as much as you do. And work through our ministries, work in our families' lives to bring healing, uh, work in us and uh, continue to guide and direct us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.